Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor. Thank you uh, for having us here and your leaders for trusting and entrusting the pulpit to, uh, to me. Uh, I'm honored, always honored, and just excited to be back in Victor Harbor. Um, we had such a great time the last time we were here and, uh, and uh, definitely uh, has uh, good memories for both Kathy and I. And Kathy, would you quickly stand, just stand up and just give the people a wave so they can see my beautiful wife. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, you know, I, I have some good news too. I was going to get up and I was going to share some good news. And uh, the All Blacks lost. <laughs> didn't, go, didn't go over well. Uh, I know. Hallelujah. To us, to me, that's good because that means the Springboks are going to play the finals against uh, the English. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I, don't know if I, I don't know which one I was going to choose, you know, because both those teams are good. But, you know, the Springboks are going to do it. Hallelujah. Just wanted to let you know. Amen. So now I can preach. So you've got to accept the rest of, that I say here today. Amen. How many of you are ready for the word? Hey, Amen. I, 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 I didn't give them this passage of scripture um, just before I came. I just felt really impressed to begin by using a passage of scripture out of Isaiah. Or Isaiah I can say Isaiah. Yeah, praise God. In America, it's Isaiah. Um, and so in Isaiah chapter 41 and uh, I think it's verse 10. I, I, I just jotted this down here. And uh, it begins by saying this. And I'm going to read out of the Message uh, Bible. It says, the Lord speaking. He says, I've picked you. I haven't dropped you. Don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need to fear, for I am your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you, I'll hold you steady, and keep a firm grip on you. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's come before the Lord. Father, we just thank you that as we come this morning again, Lord, I agree with every prayer that has been prayed here today. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. Thank you that He leads us, He teaches us, illuminates our hearts and minds, and Father, speak to us corporately, but more importantly, individually, each and every one of us. Lord, lead us into truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, in today's society, um, there are uh, uh, more and more people seem to be suffering uh, with emotional and mental uh, conditions. I see, you know, so many people who uh, have all kinds of phobias. Uh, there's almost like an epidemic of anxiety among so many people. But what uh, alarms me more than anything is that I notice that wherever I go in the world ministering, uh, meeting Christians, I tend to see that 
uh, Christians don't seem to be immune to some of the things that are going on, especially when it comes to mental disorders and fear and uh, the, the anxiety that seems to have been gripping our society. Now, I'm not always exactly sure how it is here in, 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 in Australia, but I tend to realize that things are pretty much the same all over the world, and especially in the Western society. You know, in recent months, uh, I don't know how much you have heard about, but in recent months, I've, I've heard of uh, so many believers, some who uh, were, by all accounts, uh, successful church leaders who uh, have ended up compromising uh, and even renouncing their faith. Some have actually even sadly uh, taken their own lives due to um, depression, anxiety, uh, sometimes a hopelessness, uh, even in the church. Now, uh, I'm not sure why some of these people have done what they've done, but somebody who uh, has uh, for, or had for the first 10 years of my ministry really struggled tremendously with depression, um, and, and depression that brought me to the very brink of suicide, uh, I, I really have felt wherever I've been going to share a message uh, for each and every one of us, church leaders, pastors, um, you know, people in the congregation, all of us, just a message of uh, hope, a message of confidence in our future in God. And um, so this is really what I'd like to share with you you know, uh, go with me in your Bibles if you have or if you've got it on yet. I, I know we're going to have the Scriptures up there. I want to first start out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, um, the writer makes uh, some observations. And if, you, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll realize that um, uh, Solomon writing here in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, sometimes comes across very skeptical about life and about the things of life and, 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 and you know, why, why we live the way we do. And uh, especially when it comes to the mundane and sometimes tedious and meaningless tasks, uh, the chores of life. And so in, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 9, we pick it up there where he uh, speaks, and I'm going to have this and read this out of the Amplified Version, and uh, it begins by saying this. He says, what profit remains for the worker from his toil? Or let's put it this way, uh, what advantages are there to the worker for his hard and, and, and sometimes tedious work? In verse 10, he says, I have seen the painful labor and exertion and miserable business with which God or which God has given to the sons of men with which to exercise and busy themselves. So here's, here's uh, uh, the writer looking and kind of critically looking at life and, and looking at, at some of those things. How many of you can identify with some of those things we do in life that seem to be just uh, a, a, a chore, uh, the things we do sometimes just to get through the day, 
Uh, sometimes things we have to do in order just to get through the week or through the month or through the year, really. And they don't seem to be things that, that, that really have any uh, impact on uh, what our destiny or our future is. It's just stuff that we need to do, and it's kind of, kind of mundane. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I travel a lot, and I'm always on an airplane going somewhere, and, I'm, and I get home, and uh, on Thursday morning, my wife uh, expects me to take out the trash. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's like I'm the man of God. I've been, you know, I've been busy. I've, got, I've been doing the right, I've been doing things that have some purpose and destiny. And then every Thursday, I have to take out the trash. And then I have to remember which Thursday it is. Because uh, every second Thursday, it's um, also uh, uh, recycle, and so I've got to get the recycle out. And, you know, I think to myself, you know, here I am, why, why, why am I doing all the, I, I've got more important things to do. And I think that that's kind of the thing. That he, some, the men had a real good time, right? You had an opportunity to protest. But, you know, uh, these, I think, are some of the things. There are many other things. But I believe in verse 11, he gives us the answer to some of the mundane, some of the things that we sometimes think and look at and think, you know, why do I have to do these, these seemingly unimportant things? In verse 11, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Boy, I tell you what, sometimes you don't realize the things that you look down your nose at that, that, God, that God has you do on a daily basis or that life has for you uh, for, on a daily basis that you sometimes detest, sometimes think that there's no value in it. God is able to use those things to make everything beautiful in its time in your life. Amen. Sometimes you'll come to a situation in life and those mundane things have trained you so that you can actually do something really important. Amen? And so when we look at it from that perspective, now, uh, having said all of that, the next verse is really the one that I think that I enjoy more than anything. He says, or next part of this verse, he says, He also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, the Amplified defines it, a divinely implanted sense of purpose working through the ages which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. And that's what I would like to focus on here this morning. You see, I believe that every believer, every man and woman of God knows and has experienced what this verse 11 is talking about. That, that sense uh, uh, of divine implanted destiny within each and every one of us. And many of us as church leaders and, and leaders in the church, 
you know that if you have an authentic divine calling of God, which I believe every believer has, some just have ones that are seen and in the spotlight, and some have destinies that have been implanted in you that nobody is necessarily going to notice. But all of us have experienced this, the reality of what this verse is talking about. The divinely implanted sense of purpose and, the, and, and destiny. Because God has, has implanted that in the hearts of every human being. I believe that. See, uh, any person who, uh, who, who has spent any time in a quiet space with God uh, will know that sense of destiny, of knowing that... Um, that you are destined for greater things, that you're destined for greater uh, opportunities in your life. And, and, and of course, uh, having said all of that, we all know that life has many twists and turns, that, that life has many opportunities and things happen in life where, where uh, uh, you know, the twists and turns can really come to hinder and to sabotage and, and, and I would even say uh, to come and destroy the destiny and the calling and the purpose that God has placed in our hearts. Many of us, I believe, I'm sure that if you've lived any period of time, then you've had opportunities, you've had people in your life, you've had circumstances uh, sometimes even tragedies that have happened that have come to sabotage the destiny and the purpose that God has placed in our hearts and, and, and in our lives. Uh, usually, I find that, that for most believers, for most Christians, when we have these uh, circumstances or people decisions other people have made that affect our lives, that come and bring almost a, a danger of totally destroying the purposes and the destiny that God has upon our lives. Sometimes, like I said, tragedies can happen, and all of a sudden it looks like the destiny and the purpose that God has for you, the dreams you have in your heart uh, that you know was planted there by God, looks like it's never going to happen. Most believers usually, when that happens, are able to dust themselves off. And most believers are able to say, you know, I know, I know this has happened. I realize the impact of, of this upon my life. It might be financially. It might be in business. It might be in ministry. It might even be in family, in the relationships of families. But most believers are usually able to say, you know, I'm going to trust that God can restore the destruction that has come into my life. The, most believers are able to do that. But let me pose this question. What happens when we are the ones who have failed, when we are the ones who have hindered our own destinies, our own purposes, and as a result, we have brought destruction upon our own lives. 
due to our own habits, due to our own destructive, uh, uh, call, it, call it addictions, uh, our, our, our uh, uh, inabilities, our weaknesses. And, and I would just plainly say, because of our own sin, we bring and we are the reason why the destruction has come upon us. What happens, you see, it is usually here where I find that most believers struggle to believe that God is able to restore the destruction that they have brought upon their own lives. And so this morning, uh, I think that this is where, 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 where Christians become hopeless this is the place where Christians most of the time uh, look at their lives and they say, well, the world says you've made your bed, now you lie in it, and you're going to have to take the consequences. Now, is there, are there consequences for sin? Absolutely. The consequences of sin is death and destruction. And many times, because of our own sin and our own decisions, we can bring that destruction upon us. But is God, I believe God is able to restore. Turn with me in your Bibles and let's go there to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I love Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is, is one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture. And uh, here, of course, we find the psalmist David where he writes. Now, of course, David wrote many psalms. And many of the psalms that David wrote, he wrote uh, at times in his life where he was victorious, where he's experienced the, 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 uh, uh, the power of God's uh, restorative power in his kingdom, in his, in his life. And so David wrote many times out of the victories of his experience with God. But there are also times in which David wrote Psalms where he wrote Psalms not at the peak of his successes. That there were many psalms that David wrote uh, at the lowest point of his moral experiences. And he wrote really to uh, exhort himself in order to remember God's ability and his gracious ability to restore uh, the destructions. I, and I believe that, and, and many, many scholars, Old Testament scholars, believe that Psalm 103 is one of those psalms where he did not write the psalm because of his successes, but now David is writing from a position of experiencing the consequences of his decisions and the consequences of his sin. And now he's writing. And it begins by saying in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. You know, here's, here's David. And, and of course, when you read this, you kind of think, but you can almost hear this is a psalm in which David is encouraging his own soul. Where he's calling upon himself, even though he sees what's happened and he realizes who the cause of, of the problem is, he reminds himself and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. 
bless his holy name. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says, forget not all his benefits. Everybody say benefits. Hallelujah. So David remembers that there are benefits in serving a graceful, merciful, loving God. And he says, he reminds himself, forget not. Because you see, when you and I fail and when we make mistakes, and, uh, and, and you know, some of you are looking at me as like, I never make mistakes. What we all know, we make mistakes. Anybody been stupid lately? One, two, three. Amen. <laughs> I mean, we've, we, we all make some stupid decisions sometimes. And sometimes when we do, we tend to forget that serving God, even in that day, in that moment, in that hour, there are benefits in serving God. Amen. Verse 3 says, who forgiveth, or for, and the, the King James, who forgiveth or who forgives all your iniquities. You know, the word iniquity, of course, uh, in general, uh, you know, the, the, the sin, the category of sin, we have iniquity, we have transgression, and we have sin, which is, you know, just rebellion against God, really. But uh, iniquity speaks more, both in the Old and in the New Testament, speaks more about the condition that sin leaves you in. You see, when, 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 when we've sinned, when we have been stupid, you know, I think for some people I'm just going to say, when you've been stupid, amen, and you, it, it will leave you in a condition. It will leave you in a mindset. It will leave you in a belief system. And so he says, remember that God is able to forgive and to cleanse you, as it were, from iniquity and the condition that sin leaves you in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Next, next point, who heals all thine diseases. He's the healer. He heals all our diseases. You see, I tell you, even, even in today's uh, science, they are becoming more and more aware of the fact that it is the condition of our hearts and our belief system that determines many times the sicknesses that manifest within our bodies and within our lives. And that, that most diseases are what they call psychosomatic, meaning that it has a root in the way you think and the way you believe. And so what he's saying is that we, don't forget, don't forget that God, the benefit of serving God is that he is able to forgive and cleanse you of a condition sin leaves you in, a mindset. And then he says, who heals all your diseases, verse 4 says, who redeems thy life from destruction. Oh, hallelujah. Wow. Who redeems your life from destruction. Now, I, I, I love the, the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language is, is, is just so much uh, more descriptive because it's not only is God able to heal or to, to, or to redeem. And the word they redeem literally means this. It means to buy back and restore. Not just to buy back, but it's buy back and restore, uh, restoration. Now, you know, I never really understood what restoration really meant until I started watching 
uh, in the United States with my wife, uh, a, a program called HGTV. Do you, I don't know if you have, it's um, home improvements, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, fixing homes and my wife's always watching all, of, I don't know if she's trying to tell me something or, but, but when I started watching with her, uh, there were some programs that she would watch where people would buy these old homes and they would, and they would, and I think one of them is actually called restore or restoration. But what was interesting is that I always believed and thought that restoration meant that uh, you take something that is old, uh, dilapidated, falling apart, and that you restore it to its original uh, condition. And that is what these people would do. But then it dawned on me when I started watching these shows that they would not only restore a building back to its original condition, but they make it way, way better. They add things. They, the electricity is better. The plumbing is better. The heating is better. And they change the... And it is, a, it, it is not just restored back to its original. It is now way better. And that's exactly what this means. God is able... And David reminds us, he reminds himself that God redeems your life. And, and the, the Hebrew there is not your life from just from, from any destruction... He redeems your life from your destruction. From your, the destruction you bring upon your own life. Verse 5 says, Who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Brings restoration and youth. Verse 6 says, the Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. That just really talks about those who are oppressed and can't make decisions for themselves. God is the one who executes just, justice and judgment, meaning he will make, when, when you get to a place, sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we do things and we get to a place we don't even know what decision to make. He says, thank God that one of the benefits of serving God is that at that moment, God will make the right decision for your life and help you to make the right decision. The next thing he says is this. He says, uh, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful, gracious, listen to this, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Hallelujah. I'm going to read that again. The Lord is merciful. That means he is full of mercy. Mercy means God's willingness, God's passion, God's desire to, to give you and do better for you and give you better than you deserve. Wow. Oh, hallelujah. Wow. That's what the, 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 the biblical understanding of mercy comes from what happened on the mercy seat. When the offering was brought, uh, brought the, 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 the blood was, God treated Israel better than they deserve. Wow. See, God's mercy is when he's, he's got a passion, desire, and willingness, and the ability to treat you better than you deserve. Because why? Why, why is that? Because he's gracious. And then it says, slow to anger. Now, you know, we don't really understand 
what it means when God says he's slow to anger. I put it like this. In the book of, the book of Revelation, you find, you find Jesus revealing himself to John. And in the book of Revelation, he says to John, John, behold, or look, I come quickly. Now, I don't know about you, uh, Jesus, if, if, if we believe that Jesus is referring to his second coming, then Jesus hasn't come yet. And when did he say this to John on the Isle of Patmos? Approximately two, just over 2,000 years ago. Come on now. So what we, can, what we can deduct from that is that, I mean, Jesus could come right now. But it could be another 2,000 years. We don't know. Uh, I prefer to believe that it's soon. But we can safely say that God's quickly is about 2,000 years. Because Jesus said, behold, John, I come quickly. It's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come. If God's quickly is about 2,000 years, how slow is he slow? How slow is it when he says, I am slow to anger? See, years ago, when, when, this, when, when I had this experience, Kathy and I, with the Lord, and, and the revelation of this came to me, um, that's when the Lord said to me, Arthur, you can't live long enough to anger me. See, even if you could live for 2,000 years without dying, that would only be quickly. And God is slow to anger. You know, you might be here today and you have some, some dread within your heart because of something you've done which you believe is, is a perversion of something that nobody else would ever do. And you somehow think that, maybe, maybe you don't think that God is angry with you in a wrathful way, but he's kind of disappointed. I want, to be, I want to be the one to say to you this morning, you can't live long enough to disappoint him. For him to be angry with you, to withdraw from you. And that's what David saw. You know, years ago, Kathy and I, we, um, we were ministering uh, uh, in the United States, and we were traveling throughout the United States, and we had finished our travels in ministry, and we ended up in New York City, and we were, Kathy had never been there, and I had been there, and so we ended up in New York City uh, uh, for a couple of nights uh, in, in, in Times Square, and uh, uh, so I was going to show Kathy uh, a good time, and, and we were going to go and have a good meal, and then we were going to go see a show, and um, so we had everything ready. So we arrived in New York, and so we got a taxi that took us to our uh, hotel. And, and we finally, that afternoon, we got into our hotel room. 
And we kind of rested that afternoon. And so the time came for us to get ready. And I started getting ready. Kathy went and had a shower and cleaned up. And you know you know how ladies take their time. And so I had a, a, just a brief time to be able to go and have a shower and, and shave. And so I walked, because you know, in New York, in the hotels, there, the, 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 the bathrooms are so small. You can't have two people in there. And so uh, I, was, I was standing shaving, and um, the, 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 the story actually goes like this, that we were going to leave New York, and we flew Egypt Air, and so we were going to go through Cairo, and we were going to spend two, two days and, and three nights, or two days and three nights in Cairo, and seeing the sights in Cairo. And so I had quite a bit of cash on me for the strip. And I'm standing shaving, and... I heard the Spirit of God just nudge me and say, Arthur, leave your money in the room tonight. And so here I am shaving, and I'm, I'm reasoning with the Lord. I'm saying, Lord, don't worry about it. I've got this. You know, I've been, I've been to New York before, and uh, I've got this. No problem. I'll put my wallet right at my front pocket, put my hand over it. Nobody's going to get to it. It will be all fine. And as I walked out, uh, and after I showered, walked out the bathroom, Kathy turns around to me and she said to me, you know, Arthur, I really feel we need to leave the money here in the room tonight. And so I said, so now I'm already, I've been kind of arguing with the Lord. And so now Kathy comes with that. And so I said to her, Kathy, Kathy, I said, look, I've been here before. This is okay. We're in a, in a safe area in New York. Don't you worry about anything. I, I, you know, and in, in any case, it's not good to leave your money in a, a, a hotel room in New York. You know, you, you, you just take it with you. It's, I know it's, and I know it's safe here. And she said, I really think, I said, Kathy, please, I've got this. And so we got dressed, we got ready, we walk out the door, and we get to the, uh, the, the, the lift, uh, the elevator. And so as it opens, there's a big old sign that says, you can leave your valuables in the hotel. <laughs> and Kathy turns around, she says, look, you can leave your, your valuables, we can put it in a the safe there. So I said, Kathy, I've got this, I don't, please, let's just go and enjoy a wonderful night, you know? And so off we went, and we get out, and we walk down. We got two blocks down from the hotel. And I lost the money. Now, you know, I'm transparent enough to tell you the story up to this point. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how I lost the money. I can tell you it was not stolen. Stupid. I mean, talk about stupid. It was my own stupidity. I'm not going to tell you. So don't come afterwards and ask me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not going to let you know. But I mean, just absolutely stupid. Amen. <laughs> and I mean, I, all of a sudden, New York City lights dimmed. There was no more, no more luster in being in, uh, you know, in Times Square. And I'm, I'm angry. Of course, when it happened, Kathy turns around to me and she's, I said, don't say a word. <laughs> don't, don't say it. I am mad. I am mad at New York. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at Kathy that she was right. 
and, and I basically took a hand and we just walked back to the hotel and I went back into the room. And when I got up there, I just turned to her and I said, I said, lovey, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I said, you did warn me. And I said, the Lord warned me. And I said, but you know, even though this has happened, I'm going to believe God can restore. And so we took hands, and I prayed. I, I mean, I, I said, Lord, forgive me. Thank you that I am forgiven. Thank you that, that you don't hold this against me. Thank you that, that your mercies are new every day. I said, I'm going to trust you. Anyway, we spent the two days there. It wasn't as nice as what I wanted it to be. We went to Egypt. I had a credit card, so we were able to go there and enjoy that time there. So when I get home, I was still pastoring a church at that time, and I get home, and the first Sunday, as I got to my office, I was up, going up the stairs to my office, uh, uh, one of my elders tugged on my coat and turned me around. He pulled me around, and he said, he said uh, Arthur, I don't know what's going on. He says... Uh, but the Lord instructed me this weekend to give you this. And he, uh, he holds out an envelope. You know, one of those envelopes that you know that when you take it, there's a lot of money in it. And so he gives this to me. And then he, then he said this. He says, and the Lord instructed me to tell you that he loves you. And so I took the envelope. Of course, I thanked him and I prayed with him. And then I went to my office. And when I got to the office, opened the envelope, and in there was more than double the money I lost. You see, I want to tell you, you can give the Lord a big hand if you want to. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, brother and sister, what, I, what I'd like to, to tell you and give you here today, and that is that God's grace is way bigger than your failure. And, you know, even, even if you go through uh, passages, and I'm kind of, uh, I don't want to go too long over my time, but if you go to, to, to Romans chapter 5, you don't have to turn there with me. Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through to verse 20, uh, in the Amplified Bible, it's beautiful. You see, what, 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 what Paul explains here is this, that the power of sin and iniquity to destroy your life is never greater than the power of God's grace and love to restore your life. And no matter, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's going on, no matter how many stupid decisions you've made, I'm here to tell you it's not the end and that there is a way that God is able to take you where you need to go. He is able, His grace, His restorative grace is able to take you and bring you to the place of your destiny and of your purpose. And it might look like your destiny, your purpose is never going to come and be fulfilled because of your own stupidity, because of your own sin or weakness or your inabilities. I'm here to tell you that in Romans chapter 5, Paul makes it very clear. He says the grace of God is out of proportion to the fall of man. Yeah. Wow. Hallelujah. Out of proportion. You know, sometimes I hear people preach the gospel, and the gospel is kind of equal to our sin. Meaning, it just covers it. 
But you know, the, the, the Romans chapter 5 through to verse 20 is where Paul says in the Amplified Bible, he says that God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. God's free gift of grace in Christ in your life, when you start to trust Jesus in your life, God's grace in Jesus is out of proportion to your mistakes. Yeah. Do you understand what out of proportion means? Yeah. Out of proportion just means that, are, are there any uh, local uh, waterfalls here that everybody would know about? Not much? Hyde Marsh. Anybody, you, you guys familiar with that? All right, can, now I want you to imagine that that waterfall uh, represents the water that is gushing over that waterfall represents your sin, your, un, your, your inabilities, your weaknesses. But to be out of proportion... See, maybe that waterfall looks like there's no way I can stop that water from going over that waterfall. Out of proportion is if you take that waterfall and compare it to Niagara Falls. Or if you've been to Africa, the Victoria Falls. Then all of a sudden, Victoria Falls, Niagara Falls are out of proportion. It swallows up. That would be God's grace and His ability to restore your life, to restore your vision, to restore your family, to restore your finances, to restore the vision that God has put upon your life. He's, it's out of proportion. And then Paul comes to verse 20 and he says this, and I'll quickly read this to you. He says, but where, where sin increased and abounded... Grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. You see, in Paul's life, this is, this is a truth that is highlighted in Paul's life. I believe verse 20 is Paul's conclusion about understanding God's grace upon his life. You see, Paul was Saul before. And Saul was a man who was very zealous for the things of God. So zealous that, um, you know, he, his belief system, his belief, his relationship with God was, if you don't, if you don't uh, shape up and do what is right, then God will kill you. And if God doesn't kill you, Saul would help him. Saul was one of the instigators of the stoning of Stephen. So Saul's relationship, yes, he was zealous. He was zealous for the things of God, but not according to knowledge. He was zealous of, of the word. He was zealous of God and relationship with God. But his idea, his view of God was, you better toe the line as best as you possibly can. And if you can't, God will either leave you alone or he will destroy you. And so on the road to Damascus, here, here's Saul on a mission to destroy the, the, the very purposes of God, which is the church. And on the road to Damascus, a bright light comes and knocks him down into the ground. And Saul immediately hears a voice saying, 
It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul immediately says, who's speaking, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. That's when Saul realized that Jehovah, the God that he, is Jesus. Now, can you put yourself in Saul's shoes? Your mindset, your understanding, your way of looking at things is that God is a God who's hard, and if you don't toe the line, he, he'll take you out. See, Saul understood that he couldn't go and say, well, I didn't know. Because in Paul's mind, under the law, ignorance is no excuse. And so can you imagine he's laying on the ground, and I bet you he's thinking to himself, Oopsie. Uh-oh. There's only going to be a little wet spot with the curly hair sticking out. of. That's all that's going to be left of Saul. Most probably said to his friends, will you tell my mother I love her? Say my goodbyes. But he comes face to face with God's restorative grace. And Jesus says to him, now Saul, get up. He's expecting God to take him out. Jesus says, get up. Go into the city and wait my further instruction. And we know God used him to, to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He was one of the only followers that understood the gospel of grace. Amen? You see, I believe Paul understood this. And understood that no matter how big your mistakes are, God can restore the passion, the desires, and the purposes that he has placed on your heart. I'd like to end it off by saying this. You know, Kathy and I travel all over the world. One of the places that I find difficult to travel is in the UK. I find it difficult there because everything's small. Cars are small, roads are small, parking places are small, hotel rooms are small, showers. I stayed in a hotel room one time with Kathy. I got in the shower, closed the door. If you dropped the soap, you had to get out the shower to pick up the soap. <laughs> That's why I like America. You go to America, everything's big, you know. But, but here... To travel in London, I, I go and minister a lot for a, a pastor there, uh, Ben Conway, and uh, he's got six campuses all over London. And, and, and he works you, he works you to the bone. And so you go there, and uh, then I've got to get in a car. He gives me a car, and he says, okay, this is where you've got to go. It's on the other side of London, and now I've got to make my way there. Thank you, Jesus, for the GPS on my phone. I just go on my phone, go on my GPS tracker there. I just put in the postal code or I put the address in. And guess what it does? It says proceed to the route. And then if you go to the road, it says, you know, turn left. And then at the next roundabout, take the second exit. And if you follow those instructions... You actually get to where you're going. But, you know, 99% of the time, I get in London, and it will get me onto one of those motorways, freeways, you know, and then I'll be on the wrong side, and then it says, oh, you need to go off here, and then I miss the turn off. 
Or I'm supposed to continue straight and then I'm in the wrong lane and I have to take the turn off. And then I might even find myself in an area of London I don't want to be in. I love my GPS. It says, recalculate. <laughs> and if you follow the instructions, usually it will say, uh, you know, uh, go, go straight for the next two miles at the roundabout, take the fourth exit. Fourth exit means you, you, made, you made a U-turn. And then before you know it, you're back on track. Brother and sister, listen. If you and I, as human beings, if we have devised a means by which we can stay on track and that can recalculate every time we make a mistake on our way to our destination... How much more is God by the Holy Spirit not able to recalculate your life? To recalculate your destiny? No matter how old, no matter how many mistakes, I'm here to tell you, don't give up, don't be hopeless, but trust that nothing can stop God from fulfilling His purposes in your life your ministry, your business, your family, and every area in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you learn something here this morning? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a big hand. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. His restorative grace is way more powerful than your stupid decisions. Amen. Of course, Nobody, we don't want to go make stupid decisions. But when you do, he's able to recalculate and bring you back on track and bring you to the destination that he has purposed in your heart. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.